going to talk a, a little bit more about money, actually. And it's to speculate on how much the Alberta wildfires are really costing us. Now, the wildfires have, as we've seen, burned almost 10 times the size of Calgary in Alberta. We're starting to see some measurable devastation. And now we're starting to estimate what it is that's going to cost us and how can we maybe better prepare ourselves in the future. We're going to get into it right now with our guest, who's the head of the Intact Center on Climate Adaptation at the University of Waterloo, Dr. Blair Feltmate. Dr. Feltmate, thanks so much for making the time. Really appreciate it. Well, thank you very much for having me. You wrote a great article for The Globe and Mail. You can check it out at theglobeandmail.com, Ted Nation, talking about, you know, just some maybe better workarounds to try to prevent um, what it is that we spend on natural disasters and how this really plays into climate change. I just want to start with comparing this wildfire situation here in Alberta to other disasters in our province. How much have we spent in natural disaster relief for other large wildfire events? Because these are numbers in the billions. Well, the most expensive expression or in terms of catastrophic loss claims for uh, wildfires was uh, about $9 billion for uh, the Fort McMurray fire. And then in a little and then a little bit less than that, about half that amount for the Slave Lake fire in, in 2011. But the two uh, expressions of climate change and extreme weather risk that are the most expensive in this country, number one is flooding and particular residential basement flooding, followed by wildfires. So flooding and wildfires are the two most expensive costs of climate change in the country. So these these operate a little differently in terms of what insurance is available for each of these events, right? So what structures are in place for insurance, uh, like things, in, for things like wild, floods or wildfires? Yeah, with wildfires, you pretty much have total coverage, period. If the house burns down, you're covered. For flooding... It's uh, broken up into, into categories, and, and, and for water in the basement, there's two, two, ways of, two primary ways that damaging water can enter uh, into the basement. One is if, the, if uh, in a really big storm, the sewers are overwhelmed with water, and the water backs up through, this, through, through the sewers, through the little drain in your basement, and comes up into the basement and floods that way. That's, well, in insurance terms, that's creatively called sewer backup flooding. And for that type of flooding, you have to actually purchase that insurance specifically for sewer backup. But if, uh, if there was a great big storm and the water on the street filled up and came through the side window of your house, that's called overland flooding. And that's, you need another form of coverage, overland flood coverage. Uh, you have to select for that if, if you're going to be covered for, for that source of flooding. So those are the two primary sources. And then, of course, people have the regular insurance if the, for flooding if the uh, dishwasher pipe or something like that broke, broke in your house. So all of these structures are in place. And when it comes to wildfires, which is top of mind for most of us here in this province, because it's still something that we're dealing with, and we likely will for the rest of this summer, probably into the fall as well. If coverage is there as a whole, how much can we speculate will be the cost of the current situation here in our province? Well, it's early in the season, but right now, uh, catastrophic loss insurable claims, just on the insurance end of the equation, and for every dollar of insurable loss, there's about 3 to $4 of uninsurable loss. Um, well, but, uh, let me put it this way. Last year in 2022, the insurable claims came in at uh, $3.1 billion for the country. Uh, my suspicion, and that's a, really driven through a combination of flooding and wildfires, uh, my suspicion, given that you know the year's not up to off to a good start in terms of uh, fire damage alone, we're going to be 
certainly way, way up in the billions. But you, there's, it's impossible to say right now what it will be. But it's going to be – last year was the third worst year on record, and it looks to me like you know this year we're, we're heading towards another yeah. record year. Yeah, I think uh, – yeah, it definitely looks that way for sure. We're still at the beginning of the season. And in the article that you wrote, you relate this to how it really is getting in the way of, of getting to net zero. So can you expand on that, how these are related? Well, the, it's, it's, there, there's two ways to think about or address climate change and two areas of focus in Canada. 95% of the focus of climate change in Canada to date, or up to maybe two or three years ago, has been on how to mitigate greenhouse gas emissions to slow down the rate of climate change, which is a perfectly uh, good thing to do. And by the way, when I, I chose my words deliberately there, when I say to slow down the rate of climate change, just to be clear, we're not going backwards on climate change, period. Climate change is irreversible. The most we can do is slow it down, but we cannot stop it. But uh, focusing on net zero, it's almost sucked all the oxygen out of the room in reference to addressing climate change in that everything's been, almost all efforts been focused on mitigating greenhouse gas emissions. Very little effort has been devoted to adapting to climate change and extreme weather risk, mm. preparing for flooding, preparing for wildfires, preparing for extreme heat. And what we need to do is balance the equation out a little bit more. We need to start focusing a lot more on preparedness for extreme weather events, such as the the flooding that's happening in different parts of the country right now, or the wildfires that you're currently experiencing disproportionately in Alberta. So you're talking about spending more uh, ahead of time, obviously, uh, rather than having to pay all this money in insurance after a disaster has happened, trying to sort of mitigate the expense as a whole. Do you think that Canadians have an appetite for, for that? Or politically, this would be a move that would be reasonable? Yeah, I, I think they will when they actually understand the logic of the of the equation, if you will. For every $1 spent on adaptation, we realize, and this is through lots of studies support this, for every $1 that we spend on adapt, adaptation in preparedness to avoid the problem, uh, we realize 3 to $8 in savings in damage that now didn't occur per 10-year period. So $1 invested produces 3 to $8 in savings or return on investment, if you will, per 10-year period, which is a, a pretty good deal. So how, how do we implement this? How do we, how do we make ourselves, uh, how do we put ourselves in a situation where we're not having to adapt to a disaster after it's happened? Well, what we want to do is, for example, uh, with flooding, let's say the biggest cost in the country, okay. there's a heck of a lot that can be done just by educating homeowners on actions they can take around their house, around the outside of the property and in the basement itself to lower the probability that when the big storms hit, they'll end up with a basement full of water. And it can be as simple as, uh, for example, let's say you had a sub pump in your basement, a, a pump that sits in a well where water could collect if it got in the basement and then you pump it outside. It can be an action as simple as uh, checking on the sub pump before the big storm occurs to make sure it actually works and pumps water outside. And you check that by dumping a bucket of water in the sump well. And if the pump turns on and pumps the water outside, that's good. If it doesn't, you want to fix it. Mm. Um, and there's there's a multiplicity of actions you can take around the house like that, as simple as that, that can very, very much lower the probability you'll end up with a flooded basement when the big storms hit. The same thing for, for around your home with, with wildfire. Like one of the things you can do is have a metal roof versus a roof that's otherwise combustible if embers land on it. Or you remove vegetation that's in close proximity to the wall of the house to replace it with 
river stone or some other attractive but non-burnable material so that the fire comes up to the house, it can't actually get to the wall of the house itself. Mm. So there's there's a whole, we have worked out in great detail in Canada, quite frankly, for flood, fire and extreme heat. We have very, very good guidance on what to do to, to mitigate the risks. The problem is we're not communicating this information nearly aggressively enough, enough in implementing it. I think that there's a multitude of different ways, too, that you could implement that. I mean, grant programs or, you know, rebates to try to get people to put, you know, a sump pump into your basement, as you just described, or, you know, mandating certain materials to be used in new bills. Is any of this, you know, part of any kind of conversation at the federal or provincial level? Yes. As a matter of fact, that's all the things you just named. Uh, which were quite good. The uh, you know that that's that that, that yeah that, you, you should hire you. The the uh, that's pretty much what we work on uh, seven days a week. So receptivity for all these arguments are are it, it is much much stronger in Ottawa, particularly in Ottawa today, when we're working with Environment and Climate Change Canada or Public Safety Canada or Natural Resources Canada, Infrastructure Canada. Receptivity for all these arguments is much much higher. Funding is starting to come to get ahead of the curve on these files because people are realizing that, you know, we cannot cheat this system by ignoring it and and think we're going to get get away with it endlessly. For example, right now, uh, 10% of homes in Canada are no longer insurable relative to flood risk, period. They can't get insurance coverage for their home for basement flooding, and that's 10% of homes. And that's because we've ignored the problem. And that number is growing. So based on what, but what parameters, Dr. Feltmate, what would make that something that someone's house would fall into that category of not being insurable? Because they, they, uh, their house can either be in an area that's deemed at very high risk of flooding because the measures haven't been taken into a community using berms and diversion channels and holding ponds and cisterns and other structures that could be put in place to send water to safe locations and make it such that the chances of that house realizing a flooded basement is now very, very low. Wow. Therefore, when it's realized that it's at high risk, the, the premium the insurers would have to charge would be logarithmic and people can't afford it. And uh, that makes that house uninsurable. So it's, um, and, and that's happening more and more uh, across the country. The other thing, by the way, we did a study uh, that covered more or less the last 10 years in communities that realize catastrophic flooding, the sold price of homes in those communities, whether your house was flooded or not, for a period of at least six months after the flood occurs, the sold price of homes was down by my, it was minus 8.2% less. They sold for 8.2% less in the aftermath of flooding for at least up to six months after the flood occurred, which is money directly out of the hands of homeowners. Wow. One thing that I thought was really interesting in your article, and there was a lot of, of obviously great information, but you mentioned that Canada is warming at three times the rate of the U.S., which is creating yes. more intense and costly weather across provinces and territories. So the situation that we're dealing with here in Alberta is something that we, I mean, what should be getting used to or should be taking the suggestions that you're saying and really getting serious about implementing them? Well, um, uh, the bottom line is this, and people aren't going to like to hear this, but it's reality nonetheless. The As bad as things are now relative to flood risk, you remember the flooding in Calgary in 2013, for example, now you're experiencing fires. Uh, as bad as things are now, they're going to get worse. Flood risk is going to increase. Fire risk is going to increase. Expressions of extreme heat are going to get much higher, hotter. It's going to get a lot hotter. Matter of fact, for uh, the average city in Canada, and this includes, as a matter of fact, I was just looking at the data for Lethbridge, if you happen, to, if you want to know. The, I don't have it for um, um, Edmonton in front of me. 
but between now and 2050 to 2080, so ramping up, the number of hot days per summer uh, over 30 degrees Celsius in Lethbridge, right now it's about 18 days per summer over 30 degrees Celsius in Lethbridge. By 2050 to 2080, that's going to 54 days. So it's going to more than triple. Wow. And, by, and sorry, maximum, clarify, sorry, just go back. By yep. what year? Uh, 2050. Wow. Twenty. Well, 2050 to 2080, but 2050 being the lower end. And and by the way, it's not going to be like we're going to wait to 2050 to get there. It's going to ramp up sure. in that direction on a on a regular basis. Then, and right now, the maximum daily temperature in the Lethbridge area that realized in the summer is about 34 degrees Celsius. By 2050 to 2080, that's going to go to 39 degrees Celsius. So it's going to increase by about five degrees Celsius. So the heat is coming, and uh, so in Canada, we really uh, need. To, to realize the need to act with urgency relative to, the, to the, the, the climate change that, not just the extreme risk that's on the ground now, but the greater risk that's coming, period. Wow. Dr. Feltmate, thank you so much. Uh, a lot to think about to start off the show this afternoon. Really appreciate your time. Uh, anytime at all. Thank you very much. Of course. Take care. Okay, Dr. Blair Feltmate is the head of the Intact Center on Climate Climate Adaptation at the University of Waterloo, giving us a lot to consider as we get ready for a lot warmer temperatures, warmer summers, and likely more wildfires across the board here, not just in Alberta, but in Canada.